Hello, Watch Fam, and welcome to episode nine of the Rico's Watches podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and today I'm here with Ed from the Dapper Watch Dad Instagram page. How's it going today, Ed? Hey, good, good, Eric. Thanks a lot for having me on. Thank you so much for coming on. It's uh, great to have you as a guest. I know you and I have been chatting for quite some time uh, through Instagram and just kind of getting to know mm-hmm. each other since uh, I started in this whole watch community thing. And you've been a part of it for a while now, too, and have amassed quite the following. You have quite the page. Um, so I, really, I really want to, to get into that. But before we do, why don't you tell everyone what you have on the wrist today? Well, I uh, got one of my favorites, the, uh, my Seamaster mm-hmm. on a rubber strap. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I, it was love at first sight. And I feel like recently it's been like a renewed honeymoon and I've been wearing it a lot more. And just I've been looking at the, all the little details of the design. Mm-hmm. So, and is that um, so that's like the newest generation one correct it is yeah it, um to be honest the the previous generations they were okay but it never really caught my eye mm-hmm. um the design elements like the the hour hand just felt like it was so anemic it was like out of proportion with the minute hand and mm-hmm. um, when i saw the picture for this this current one i it was it was actually love at first sight i saw the first pictures i was like i gotta have this one that's <laughs> amazing and that's yeah. the, you have the black version, correct? Yeah, yeah. What made you pick yeah. that one over like the other color variations specifically? Uh, the, the blue is nice and everything, but um, I just felt like black would be more versatile. I know the Seamaster is traditionally, you know, Bond, Seamaster being blue and everything, but uh, the black one just uh, spoke to me. And the white one is really nice, but I was worried that it would wear too big. Cause okay. it's not a small watch. It's uh, you know, 42 millimeters. It's not huge, but I figured it might wear a bit big. So black just spoke to me the most. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, and now, and now the new bond watch is Brown. So I mean, yeah. that's, <laughs> no. I mean, now the blue doesn't even matter anymore. <laughs> so that's exactly. kind of cool. I always, I always really liked the, um, the, I guess like a slate gray dial they have for the, yeah. that uh, model with the blue hands and the blue accents on oh, it. Yeah. I yeah. thought that was really cool. I tried that one on in the uh, boutique in Las Vegas and mm-hmm. I, I really liked that piece, but yes, yeah. it does. It does wear kind of large. I did find that the black version wore smaller than all the other variations that were out there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. On my wrist, I have also a Seamaster. But nice. you have the latest generation Seamaster, <laughs> and I have the OG. Oh. Ni- I guess it was the 1948 was when it first came out. But this one's from 52, but it's the first yeah. generation Seamaster. Wow. It's uh, it's beautiful with the bumper movement and the beefy lugs on the beads of rice yeah. bracelet. It's uh, it's interesting to see kind of the evolution over time and how the variation has has changed over the uh, the sub brand. Yeah. Of the Seamaster line, um, mm-hmm. 42 millimeters, 34 millimeters, 300 <laughs> meter water resistance. I don't even know if this thing came water resistant. <laughs> yeah, don't just, test it out. <laughs> no, I'm not, not taking this thing diving anytime soon. But uh, it's unreal. It's unreal. Really, really cool piece. That's uh, and that's yeah. like a 88 caliber 8800. Movement. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like anti magnetic, Maytest certified, oh, yeah. all that yeah. stuff. Ah, the, the full works. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. And you know what the cool thing is um, you can actually log on to their website and, and see the results and everything. 
Oh, <laughs> like, okay. You can so see the results of uh, the tests and stuff. Like it's it's really cool that they that they do something like that. Is it like done like through the serial number, or do you get something yeah. with the whole package, like just like a smaller like QR code or something that you have? To yeah, scan? no, uh, through a serial number. So you just make sure you you register your watch uh, mm -hmm. with the details, mm -hmm. and then you can log in and get the information. So I just thought that was neat. Like you know, it's not necessary, but it's just a cool well, thing. It's a very cool touch, right? And then yeah. on top of that, like it it kind of does it give you any insight into what like the Maytest certification process is like. Uh, well, it tells you the the various details, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the anti magnetism testing and all that. So it shows you the various tests and that it passed each of those tests and stuff like that. So it's may test certification is quite a bit uh, of a step up from like standard cost certification, yeah, for example. It is. Yeah. yeah. I saw I saw a comparison or heard a comparison somewhere, basically saying like. Cosc certification is like graduating high school and Maytas certification is like graduating <laughs> with your master's degree. You know, it's like, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Quite yeah. a step up. Right. It's because uh, it's not just about accuracy, right? It goes beyond the accuracy mm -hmm. testing. So. Shock, shock resistance and yeah. uh, anti-magnetism and all that stuff too. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah, very exactly. cool. Uh, so aside from obviously your beautiful Seamaster, which I feel like we could almost do an entire other episode, just talking <laughs> about Seamasters. Yeah. Tell the audience about how you got into this crazy hobby, how you got on to Instagram, how you grew such a, a massive following. Give us some insight um, into, into your page and to your, your enjoyment of the hobby. Sure. Um, yeah. Would you believe that I started off with a couple of Timex weekenders? Um, you know, I was getting into, you know, uh, fashion and everything. And one of the fashion blog talked about, you know, uh, sporting a weekender for that, for that preppy look and I was like oh yeah all right cool so I went into a local Sears and looking for <laughs> a weekender and picked up a couple and it just slowly grew from there right like I'm not gonna say you know I, I became so immersed in watches and became you know this big watch guy um, it was still when I started off uh, probably about a little over 10 years ago it was about fashion and, and just kind of adding that accessory because I will admit um, just this one time that I even owned a Daniel Wellington because uh, <laughs> yeah I, I know uh, <laughs> let's uh, delete that delete that <laughs> no, no no that's okay no you know what but that's that's how it started right yeah uh, just kind of fitting with my wardrobe and stuff and but then you know I came across something that talked about automatic movements and I was like what is this automatic, like what, the mm -hmm. sweeping second hand? So that intrigued me. I started looking into that and that's when I got into like Orient and then it, the obsession just grew from there. You know how it is, you end up down a rabbit hole, but yes. you're now in watch forums and reading this and reading that. And that's really how I got the start. It was, uh, I consider a really humble beginning, you know, just mm -hmm. kind of working my way up the the price points, that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, when I got into Instagram, that was, I think, like 2016 or something like that. And actually, when I started, I had nothing to do with watches. It was more about fitness and paddling, like dragon boating and stuff mm -hmm. like that and kayaking. And I was really into. And then when I started getting into watches, I started throwing, you know, some watch shots here and there and stuff like that. But then over time, you know, my collection grew, my obsession grew, and then it started to take over more of my, uh, my original Instagram account. And um, 
February 2018, uh, I made the decision to create a Dapper Watch Dad, mm-hmm. just solely focused on watches. And, um, you know, and the reason behind that was, was because, um, and I think a lot of people touch on this, is the people who aren't into watches, they see you, you know, posting pictures of your collection. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like people have this impression, like, oh, look at this guy, you know, mm-hmm. is he showing off or, or some people get the impression, oh, look at it. he's got money, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's nothing to do with that. So it's, it's purely a hobby. Um, if you see my house and my cars, you'd know that I'm not full of money. <laughs> um, but it was just, uh, I was worried about the, the, like how people would look look at uh, me and what I'm posting, uh, you know, friends and family. So I just decided, you know what, I'm going to spin off and create a completely separate watch account that is not associated with my friends, family and stuff like that. It's just purely for uh, engaging with the watch community. And, uh, and then it just slowly grew from there. And uh, actually, I did take a bit of a break uh, because things just got crazy and I got really stressed and tired um, back in uh, November of the same year. And, you know, one of the things that's really that really kind of got me back is during my unplanned hiatus from Instagram, people are messaging me. Like some of the people who I've never met in person, right? And they were reaching out and say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while here. Just wanted to check in and make sure you're okay. I'm like, wow, that's like, that's so cool. Like mm-hmm. I have friends on Facebook. Like I, I just kind of left Facebook. Like no one is messaging me say, hey, I haven't seen you on Facebook. But these guys on, in the community are reaching out just to make sure that I'm okay. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, man. Like I was genuinely touched by that. I thought that that was so amazing. And um, as, part, as a result of the uh, pandemic and being locked down, uh, I was like, you know, I need something to do. I want to get back into watch photography and start engaging mm. with people and stuff because I'm just stuck in my basement all day working and stuff. And so I, I returned, uh, you know, last year and late April and just kind of really started engaging like crazy, kind of, I, I guess, kind of overcompensating uh, for my lack of engagement for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it did, it was quite, it was quite a lot, um, but it definitely got, uh, gave me the opportunity to meet a lot of people in the community and grow my account at the same time. Um, so yeah, meeting like people like you and, and yeah, it's, uh, it's been, it's been great. It's been great. Yeah. I mean, the watch community, I mean, you touched on a couple great things there. I mean, f- first of all, yeah, the watch community is like, this is, it's like such a great group of like bros and, and, and gals who just like, you know, we all just want to see each other grow and grow our collections and, and, mm-hmm. and continue to post and, and to chat and engage and just be really everyone's just so connected right like i feel like there's it's just this is good vibes in the watch community right i mean yeah. we don't I, I was touching on this on a couple other episodes um just discussing like there's not really any drama generally like there might be drama coming yeah. from like you know like when hodinky decides to release an eight thousand dollar <laughs> travel clock or something like that right but <laughs> I mean, or, yeah. But between like members and stuff, you're not seeing beefs and people, no. you know, splitting up into camps and beating disrespectful and things like that. Like everyone's really kind and compassionate, and then they tend to go even that one step further. Like, hey, yeah, like you good man? How are you doing? I haven't heard mm-hmm. from you from a bit, right? And I mean, I particularly with you, like you have phenomenal photography. 
So I could well, see, well, it's, it's, it's well-earned, uh, you know, it, it's well-earned uh, respect. I mean, your, your shots are, are very well executed and I could see how that would be missed by people when it's not around. Right. Uh, and you've amassed again, quite, quite the large following. And I imagine much of that is, is credit to your, your fantastic photography. What are some, I guess, tips you have or any sort of interesting thoughts on uh, your style of photography that you could pass on to other people that are, say, just getting into it or want to improve their photography skills? Uh, you know what? I find lighting, just one of the things I learned is lighting is, is a key thing. And um, although unfortunately I don't have room for like a proper studio, like I know some of the guys have like these crazy studios and stuff mm. with strobe lights and everything, then it's like, no. Um, but I mean, with just, you know, some foam boards and natural lighting, or I use like a flash attachment on my camera, like it, it makes a world of difference to, mm. to, to get, you know, the, the nice flecto that we all want, <laughs> you know, off the crystal and stuff like that. And it's just really experimenting, you know, yeah. playing around with, you know, finding different props and, and uh, just let you let, like letting your creative juices flow. Like mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, you uh, like I walk around the house and I'll just suddenly uh, glance at something and like, hmm, maybe I could use that as a prop mm -hmm. and then just kind of play around with it and try and figure out, you know, how to make it work. Um, I know, like, uh, I think one of the things that seems to help a lot of the, the bigger uh, uh, Instagram accounts is, like, they have, like, a very focused theme, mm -hmm. whereas, like, I, I don't really want to, to do a focused theme. So you'll mm -hmm. see, like, wrist shots and all sorts of, like, a variety of shots just to, for myself to keep it, you know, fun and, and interesting. Like, you know, sometimes, it, you know, my pocket shots are not anything to be <laughs> anything impressive. My wrist shots are nothing special, but it's just kind of also, it's like, Hey, here's a little bit of my day, or this is mm -hmm. just something, uh, you know, uh, the real me, as opposed to, you know, here's a shot of my watch with these cameras. That I don't use our film cameras that are useless and just merely props kind of mm -hmm. thing. Right? So I think it's the authenticity then that probably, uh, attracts a lot of people to your page, I would imagine then, right? Is it doesn't seem staged and manufactured and there is that variety that kind of, you're, you know, you're showing everybody, so. you're kind of showing everybody a little bit of you in your photography, right? And just like how we all like authentic watches in this community, <laughs> we like authentic people. There you go. Um, so I think that, uh, I think that that's definitely something that you do right and something that people really Thank appreciate you. for sure appreciate and i that. think i think that's how a lot of the big pages are getting the attention they get is just by being authentic and letting people see that there's a real person behind the account mm -hmm. i think that's what i think that's what people find find really interesting yeah. so in this watch hobby and uh the watch fam and things like that do you have any cool stories from like people that you've met interactions you've had with people or, or members of the watch fan that maybe you've bumped into? Um, yeah, you know, like, uh, there's, there's actually, uh, uh an AD that's near my work downtown mm. Toronto, um, Gen Bijou. And, um, uh, 
uh, you know, the owner, Sam, like he, he's, he's a big part of the watch community here in Toronto. He uh, uh, participates in, in red bar events. He helps to set up uh, events with, uh, with like uh, Longines and like the switch, uh, sorry, Swatch group um, mm-hmm. brands. They, they come to the stores and folks like me and red bar members come and visit and stuff. And uh, there's one, one time, you know, I went to the store for one of the events and just meeting some of the Instagram people. And I was like, hey, you're so-and-so, right? And then like, you're so-and-so. Oh my God, I got to meet so-and-so in person. And I have one guy like, oh my God, I, I met uh, Paddlefit Dad, which was my old account. Okay. Uh, it's like, oh, I'm going to go home and tell my wife about that. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, all right, that's cool. <laughs> so that's- yeah, uh, stuff like that. But I'll, I'll be honest, like I have not done very many in-person uh, meetups with people, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And Actually, it's only recently that I've gotten to know more of the people on Instagram here, but you know, just not a chance to actually meet them in person these days. Right? So hopefully, you know, when things are all calm, get I actually get to meet more people in person. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like the uh, like a large part of the Canadian watch fan in particular is really focused in that uh, Toronto area. I know that there are, um, you know, there's another kind of a larger one in like Montreal as well. Uh, Calgary and Vancouver also kind of have their own, but it's it's really kind of like dispersed around the country specifically within Canada. Yeah. So it'd be kind of cool to do like a, uh, I don't know, like a Canadian watch fam convention one day or yeah. something like that. Kind of cool. kind of have all the big personalities get together. Everyone kind of, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know how many of their there are it might literally be like 15 of us show up or something (laughs) (laughs) no but honestly the watch community is quite large yeah it is um yeah uh you know i've uh even like uh yeah uh, what was it sorry uh red bar of calgary Mm -hmm. um you know i got to to sit in one of their their virtual events with uh with oars so that was nice to to get that uh get that invite just to sit in and stuff so that was cool that's yeah. really cool. And so are you a member of Red Bar in Toronto? No, actually, uh, I'm not uh, an actual member. Mm. Um, partly, I think largely because I just um, don't have the time to to go out after and do all that. And on top of it, um, like, I don't want to come off like, uh, come off bad in this, but um, I kind of baby my stuff sometimes. Okay. And, and you know, sometimes you see like those those shots where it's just like the pile of watches and yeah, when okay. i see those like <gasps> like i, I yeah. cringe right and yeah. i know it like these are watches where it's for wearing and stuff but it's like if i'm gonna if it's gonna get scratches i want it to be the one that that made those scratches exactly and um you know and so <laughs> that's part of the reason i i haven't also haven't participated you know between mm-hmm. the time and also you know worrying about bringing my whole collection and stuff like that uh like uh if you if you see me in a store, like I am so careful with the watches, like with the way I set it down and mm-hmm. everything like that. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, yeah. Well, it's respect for the items. It's respect for other people's property too, right? And I think yeah. I think in the watch community, it's like one of those like unwritten rules that generally people are like pretty. We try to be pretty respectful of each other's pieces, yeah. but there's Absolutely. always there's always that person in every group right that's a a klutz or maybe not as respectful as they should be right so i mean you always want to 
I could see how that would be nerve wracking. Definitely. We don't have one in Edmonton. There's no red bar in Edmonton. I've had some discussions about maybe starting one, but I really don't know what the, uh, what the sort of engagement would be for a red bar Edmonton. I know Calgary does pretty well, but like Edmonton also only has like one AD, whereas Calgary has like 20. So, I mean, I could see how that would probably change things as well too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like one of those one things that, you know, Calgary does better than Edmonton. Okay. You know, certainly, certainly not hockey, but you know, no, no, whatever. (laughs) Um, So getting a little bit into like collecting and that part of it then. So what is your philosophy around the pieces that you collect? What, what do you, what do you factor in when you're purchasing a piece, when you're thinking about your collection as a whole and the direction you're trying to take your collection as it is now? Um, well, you know, I, I find that my, uh, my taste has evolved over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I look back to when I started, uh, I started with a lot of, at one point, a lot of micro brands mm-hmm. um, and I just wanted a, like a big variety. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't, uh, it wasn't like, oh, I want all divers. I want all field watches or anything like that. It was like, uh, I've got a Fliga. Uh, I've got a diver. I want to, mm-hmm. you know, like a racing chronograph and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So um, at one point it was like that. Um, and then it kind of evolved into, uh, I kind of shifted more towards like the, the big Swiss brands. Uh, and currently my focus is more on the watches I want to keep for the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I don't, I'm tired of flipping. Mm-hmm. So like I'm trying to be more selective. Whereas mm-hmm. before I was so impulsive as like, I see something that catches my eye and I was like, okay, I want that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then end up flipping it. Um, so now, you know, with like the Seamaster, my Speedy, Explorer, stuff like that. Like to me, those three are my my forever watches, as I like mm-hmm. to call it. Uh, so that's really my focus is on the the long term at this point is, you know, whatever I buy now, it's stuff that I want to hold on to. And that's something that, you know, in 20 years, I'm not going to look silly wearing it. You know, mm-hmm. there are some watches that's like, oh, yeah, that's a cool color and stuff. But I'm like, I'm not going to wear that. Uh, like the, uh, you know, the, uh, the OP41, OP41 in the Tiffany blue. Like mm. I, I saw that, I was like, oh man, I love that blue. Mm. I'm like, when I'm 60, uh, am I going to want to walk around in that? I don't know. Like maybe I will, but <laughs> I don't know. I, so I'm like, nah, you know, and so th- that's part of my decision-making is because I'm thinking long-term, it's like, well, is it something that I'm going to continue to like mm-hmm. as opposed to novelty? Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. And so then what do you have in the collection now? And what was your, I guess, um, what was your impetus to buy the pieces that you did buy? What are some cool memories surrounding those pieces? And I guess what, what, what do you enjoy about having them in the collection now? I know you mentioned a few that are, are keepers or forever pieces, but kind of give us an overview of what's in your collection. Yeah. Um, so aside from those three key pieces, you know, I've, I've got the uh, Flangine uh, Big Eye. Okay. Um, so, you know, it was, this is one that caught my eye when it was released. Um, you know, it, it, you know, when you look at the original design and this really stuck to it and um, it's, it's something that I really love. Um, is there a chance I might sell it at some point? 
maybe, but for now, it, it's something that I still really enjoy wearing and taking pictures mm-hmm. of. So, you know, it's a, it's a key one in my collection. Um, I've got uh, a Breitling Colt uh, mm. 44. Um, this is a brand where, you know, uh, when I got started, I was like, oh man, these, this brand, like their watches are kind of like, uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't really into it, right? Like the steel bezel and stuff like that. Um, this is actually probably the first Breitling that really caught my eye where I was like, you know what, actually, I like their design. Like when I look at the details of the, the bezel with three different finishes on the bezel itself, uh, it's like, okay, wow, all right. Uh, the little details like that. Is that one of the new, like, I, I know, like, because they kind of like revamped their lineup recently, right? Is that like the revamped Colt? Colt, like the newer Colt, nope. or is that that's like still the, with the wings? It's got the wings. Okay, yeah. very cool. Yeah. The very new cool. ones just got the the you know the uh, the fancy B on it. This one still has the wings, uh, which uh, I'm still like you got to bring back the wings. <laughs> they came in uh, some different sizes as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know what? This is a 44, but actually surprisingly wears smaller than that. Okay, um, it actually fits my wrist better than some like that I have like a 42, uh, mm. just because of the lugs and everything. So, yeah. So, you know, we'll see if, if I keep that one, but for now, like uh, I'm really happy with the, the design details and, mm-hmm. and you know, how it wears. Um, I've got an OG Aquis. Very cool. Uh, you know, this is another one where it's like uh, what spoke to me about this one is it, it's a very unique diver design. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of times divers are compared to the sub as like, Oh yeah. You know, similar hands or similar bezel and this and that no one can say that this is a copy of the sub like there's there's no way like with the beefy bracelet and Mm -hmm. and just the way the integrated uh design and everything um and this is this is like it's tough it's a tough watch yeah and and yeah i remember I, i used to have i had the black aquas and then i got the blue aquas and then i ended up getting rid of both but the um i always thought like a couple like key design features that were really cool about them was like the kettle shaped uh the kettle shaped case but that they really like that was one of those things like no one else was doing and it was almost like I, I don't really know. It, was, it wasn't like a cushing case. Like it's not like a doxa or like a, or like a turtle, uh, like a Seiko turtle. It's a, it's like a completely unique case all on its own. And then I always mm-hmm. thought the red rotor was really cool. That was, yes. and especially like when I was just getting into it and you're kind of seeing like movements all having these, like, you know, they, like, especially at the time that they kind of came out, like there wasn't a lot of really cool movements mm-hmm. that, that were in the affordable kind of range right yeah um and then they are coming out with these sapphire case backs with these bright red movements i remember oris was doing some really cool stuff for sure and now they have the new uh their new in-house movement that they're putting into the aquas line and they did away with the red movement but i think or the red uh the red uh oscillating the wheel rotor. Yeah. Rotor, yeah. Re- yeah but it was still uh it was still a really cool touch and one of the things that drew me to the brand especially at the beginning when i was starting to collect for sure yeah. And that's actually, that's one of my favorite brands. Like it's mm-hmm. still one of the, it's like one of the, what is it? Like one of the oldest independent brands still around. Yeah. Like it, it's amazing. Right. And they're still innovating. They just can't, yeah. like you said, they came out with their own movement mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a great value proposition, right? Like for, for what you're getting, like the Aqua specifically, you're, you're getting this 
beefy dive, diver that can go deep. You got ceramic bezel, you got, mm -hmm. you know, sapphire crystal front and back, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. It's just awesome. Well, and you kind of hit it right on the head, like, especially when the Aquas came out, like it was basically the only affordable dive watch that had a lot of the same tech that the new ceramic sub at the time had, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like with like you where you're getting the ceramic bezel, you're getting a unique design. It's super solid. You're getting the uh, 300 meters water resistance, right? And then on top of that, you're getting like a sapphire case back, solid, reliable movement. Like they were especially killing it for, uh, for value proposition, right? I remember them and I remember kind of like Zinn at the same time. Them and Zinn mm -hmm. are both really, Zinn is kind of like gone a little bit overboard with their prices and stuff like that and that's a different conversation for another time but the uh they were both like they were both like the two big value propositions in the mm -hmm. community at the time i think that's yeah. something that oris does really well and i was looking through some of your photos i saw you have like your oris bear mug and stuff like that and a couple <laughs> yeah. other cool pieces yeah. yeah 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 that's a really cool piece where did that one come from the the mug um actually uh directly from oris um it was uh i know they when they had the the worldwide red bar event um yeah. i was seeing people getting pictures like they were getting a care package from oris with a mug and like a little uh uh shot um so that was cool so i had to reach out and it's like oh, i've been wanting like one of these mugs for years and mm -hmm. just I'm like, where can I buy one? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they're like, they, they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll hook you up. I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. That's terrific. Yeah. They're a really cool company and, and you nailed they it are. on the head with them being like, it's, it's really cool to have like an independent company that is now starting to be, especially now, like they're really starting to be recognized as like one of the heavy hitters in the yeah. community. Um, you know, they're giving Tudor a run for their money with the new mm -hmm. movement that just came out with. I'm kind of curious to see, um oris and i know tudor was kind of already starting to do it but these new generation movements that are like these new generation workhorse movements like the tudor movements that they come out with and then now this new oris one do you think they're going to be kind of like the the new the next eta like 2824s and things like that out there because i know like i've seen tudor starting to show up their movements are showing up in brightlings yeah norcanes or norquains or however you say that they're using tudor mm -hmm. movements as well so i wonder if like as a way to supplement and make more income for the brand um oris might be considering doing something the same yeah you know what if it becomes a, a widespread thing in their mm -hmm. collection Mm -hmm. um i can see that right like and i think people companies want will want to see the reliability too because mm -hmm. these new mm -hmm. movements you have to see long term what's the longevity on these because that's the key these are brand new uh so other companies might be a little bit gun shy to say well let's let's hop into that whereas you know the edda movement it's like yeah, tried hey, and true that's been around yeah, forever yeah, exactly yeah. exactly right and, mm -hmm. and even some of the other swiss movements they they know Hey, these, these are true workhorses. They've been around for a long time. So I, uh, I, I did wonder about that. Like, and, and again, I, I, I don't know if you're a contact expert on this or not. I'm just, I'm just kind of thinking out loud now, but like, you know, with the ex exclusivity that in-house movements create when it comes to servicing and things like that. Right. I wonder with like Tudor now with what they're doing and, and potentially other brands going to the future, like, do you think that'll create um i guess i guess 
my, my question is like, how are they then with the other brands are using their movements? How are they servicing them? Like, are they allowing it? Cause like, I mean, like some of these brands don't That's have that, ex- that exclusive deal where it's like, they won't supply parts to, to independent watchmakers. Right. Yeah. So like Norcane, uh, Breitling, I don't know what their stance is on it. Maybe you do like a lot of these brands, if you know, if you're independent watchmakers, like, Hey, I need this part, they'll send it out to them. Right. Yeah. So, you know, Tudor, I don't think does that, but no, the, uh, what third parties are using their movements. I don't know if they're able to then get those parts out to independent watchmakers and how that would work with like an Oris or something like that as well, too. Well, if Tudor operates anything like their parent company, mm. you know, they're going to keep everything close to their heart, right? Um, it won't matter because you won't be able to buy a Tudor pretty soon then, just like you can't buy a steel Rolex. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the mm. fact that there's a wait list on, mm. on some of the Tudors is yeah. nuts, right? Um, yeah, I think you, you bring up a really good point because one of the key, uh, one of the things that I think about is serviceability mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to my watches mm-hmm. um grand seiko for example my understanding is you have to ship that to japan like there there is no local uh, you know watchmakers that that although I've, i think they're in canada there might be uh, i've heard that i've heard that from some of the guys in the states um now that they're trying to set up like a service center for grand seiko in the yeah. united states oh, which okay. i imagine would also feed of uh, like canada would then feed into that as well too mm-hmm. i know there's a seiko service center in i believe it's in toronto um oh, okay. but they just service like the general like yeah. day-to-day like your 7s26 and your 4r16 mm-hmm. you know what 415s whatever right like your yeah. your normal your normal seiko movements i don't think they're trained at all into the more complex stuff but as of right now yeah i'm pretty sure you're sending your stuff over to japan and, and i'm pretty sure there's not a ton of watchmakers that are trained to in the seiko mm-hmm. uh family to be working on the grand seiko movement so i imagine yeah. like until they start setting up more infrastructure for their servicing uh that could not be a very fun process but hey if anybody who's listening or watching knows definitely leave a comment down below or shoot me a dm on instagram or an email or whatever if you have more information about that because i would love to be informed on if i'm wrong so yeah i'd be curious to know too yeah absolutely absolutely so you have so we talked on a couple cool pieces so you left off on the oris what else is in the collection um, I got another Oris here, the uh, Diver 65. This is the 42 millimeter one. Um, actually, I posted a picture today on Instagram. This mm. today was the first time ever since I got this back in December 2018, where I removed the original suede strap. Um, I oh. just loved it on the, the, the suede strap so much that I never changed it up. Um, and then today I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to mm. change it up. Um, you know, and I really love the look on it. And yeah, unfortunately it's 21 millimeters. It's something that I, I didn't think oh. about when I bought it. Um, and the funny thing is this was not on my radar when I bought mm-hmm. this um, a couple of years ago. Uh, one of the guys who's actually on Instagram and part of Red Bar, he's, he really sold me on this. Uh, he was like pitching me hard, like not, not uh, you know, he's just, you know, telling me the, the, the great things about this watch. And, and I was like, yeah, I'm sold. And then I ended up getting it. Um, I think like two weeks after I picked it up. 
Mm. Um, so that's been in, in my collection for quite some time. Uh, I've got the uh, Patty Turtle here. And this has been in my collection for a while. It's uh, it's my my beater. It's uh, you know I've taken it uh, or snorkeling and stuff like that in the ocean. So um, yeah, this has been very dependable piece. Yeah, actually the only Seiko that I have left in my collection, unfortunately. Um, tempted to get more. Uh, I've got the Alpina uh, Extreme Sail. Um, okay. This one has the sapphire bezel around mm -hmm. it. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, this is one, uh, I'm going to try and sell. I just haven't been wearing it. Um, you know, it was an impulse buy. Yeah. I, you know, I think, I think Alpina is one of those really underappreciated brands though. I had yep. a, um, the, not the extreme sale. I think I just had this, it's the extreme diver. It yep. was the one that came on like that Milanese bracelet that they had and it was mm -hmm. the micro adjustant clasp on it. And it was like. It's a really nice piece. I was very pleasantly surprised, and and they yeah. come in for a very affordable price. Yeah, you know, they they actually reminded me, and maybe it's been a while since I had both at the same time, but they reminded me quite a bit of uh, like earlier Oris pieces with regards to their quality and kind of their finishing and stuff like that. I don't know. Would mm -hmm. you say they're comparable now with now that you have like the uh, later model Diver sixty five for quality, or would you say there there's a bit of a dis difference now? Um, I think there are the qualities there. Um, it's for the price point, uh, you get good value, in my mm -hmm. opinion. I've been a fan of Alpina for, for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think for the price, you, you get a good bang for your buck. Okay. And, um, you know, and the reason I want to sell the Extreme Sale is not because it's, I, I, it's not a good watch. It's just because uh, with the size of the collection, I just haven't been wearing it. Mm -hmm. It's one of those, like, it's a shame to, to leave it sitting there. Mm -hmm. you know? Definitely. So, and, and I mean, to, to prove that, you know, I am a fan of Alpina. I also have uh, this one here, uh, GMT. This is a, it's got a long name, Al, the Alpina Alpiner 4 GMT Business Timer. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't know. It's got like the, the blue here and the red here to signify, uh, you know, your, your work hours and your, your off work hour kind of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's a really nice piece, um, you know, with the, with the bracelet and everything. And unfortunately this is another one that just hasn't been getting much risk time. Hmm. Uh, but you know, the, the quality is, is absolutely, absolutely amazing on this. This actually has the, the jumping hour hand similar to what Rolex does with their GMT. Um, oh. I've had other GMTs in the past where, you know, it, uh, you have to cycle through and all this. So if you've ever dealt, like handled, uh, like the jumping hour hand, it's, it's a cool feature, right? Like mm -hmm. you've got the second hand still functioning and it's just like, you know, skipping hour by hour. Yes. Um, so you don't actually have to adjust the time. So it's really cool. Definitely. Yeah. It's, that's a really unique feature, especially for someone who travels a lot, right? It's a little yeah. less, one less thing to have to worry about setting your watch when you can just jump the hour like that. It's very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I remember one of your other podcasts you were talking about uh, needing a GMT to keep I track do. of your I guests. Do. I, time st zone. I still need one. And if any of these brands <laughs> out there that I'm having on the show later or, or I haven't had on the show yet want to be an official timekeeper for the podcast, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still available. If anyone wants me, I'm still available. Yeah. Don't want to be desperate, but you know, 
I do need a GMT. So <laughs> no, I mean they should be jumping at the opportunity. Hey, you know I I agree, but I mean who knows? I'm <laughs> I'm not the one who makes these decisions. You know, I'm, uh, I'm just yeah. the, I'm just the guy who hopes for a handout. Maybe who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, you have a couple other cool pieces that you haven't gotten to yet. What else is in the collection? Um, I don't know if, if you want to see the Explorer and the Speedy, I mean, like, of course. Is that, yeah, all right, all right, all right, uh, yeah, um, so here's the, the Explorer, it's mm -hmm. the, the current version, mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of people still have a lot of grief about the size, you know, 39 millimeters and stuff like that, to be honest, like, this is the, the, the smallest of my, my you know, core collection, and I can't imagine wearing a 36 for the explorer and that's just me i, I don't have mm -hmm. big wrists six and a half inches but um this one is what feels most comfortable um and and yeah i'm, I'm so happy about this one um yeah I, I know like i've heard a lot of people talk about being on a wait list for the explorer for yeah. over a year and still waiting for that call i'm like really mm. like um i got a call in less than a week Oh, dude, don't say you're going to make people upset. Don't say no, I, I'm sorry. And I, I don't mean I'm not saying it to like bragging. I'm just kind no, of, I know. I'm just, I know. you know, because, but at the same time, I see people getting like yeah. some of the, the bigger Rolex mm. pieces, right? Whereas in Toronto, it's like you're waiting forever, if not, you know, never uh, getting those pieces. I think for like a, a, quite a period of time, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but in like the hierarchy of uh, steel sports Rolexes, the Explorer was kind of always like at the bottom, right? Like people yeah. wanted to get the... Uh, it still is. Well, this, yeah, well, people want to get the sub. They want to get yeah. the GMT, like the Batman. They wanted to get the Pepsi. Um, I know like the G... I mean, actually, I think like the GMT2, the Explorer, sorry, the Explorer 2 is the one that is like, now sort of at the bottom but people are kind of starting to figure out that no I, i'll tell you right now like uh, it's actually a hot item is it's, it now uh, okay yeah. yeah i spoke to the ad um that i got this from and he's like um, for them it's as hot as the gmt mastered now because okay. it was like because like, it was it was one of the most affordable steel sports rolex models yeah. from the lineup up until recently where like it, it had seen the let the less or the least amount of like market activity with increases mm -hmm. right so it was still quite yeah. an affordable piece up until the last like, couple months i think it's kind of jumped up with like another grand or fifteen hundred dollars well, yeah I mean, last year alone on Instagram, people were posting like crazy. Like everyone wanted wanted the the polar version, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was like a hot item, man. So, and that's what I was told. Like, yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's hard to come by. So. Yeah, oh, it's unique. It's it's a unique piece. I think now that Rolex is increasing the sizes as well. Like, I know a big thing that people complained about was the uh, forty two millimeter case size on it. But yeah. now that like everything is either like basically forty one or 42 or like it was the what is the deep sea like 43 and a half or something like that now or <laughs> 43 so, yeah. right like yeah. I, it kind of fits quite nicely into the lineup mm -hmm. and that kind of lends to what you know with the sizing on the explorer one yours you know people kind of were grieving about yeah there's a little bit bigger and it's not like the original uh, explorer and stuff and and yeah i know like the explorer was always traditionally 36 millimeters but i think like you know, Rolex was being, how do I say it? You know, they were being thrifty with what their catalog was, right? Because obviously mm -hmm. like they had a large range of pieces in 36 millimeter 
uh, sides. You had Oyster Perpetuals, you had Datejust, yeah. you had uh, Day Dates, and then you had the Explorer, right? So it's like, hey, we just have to make one case, and then we can just mess around with dials and hands and stuff right. instead of having a, a, a wide catalog of, of case sizes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then they come out with the 39 millimeters and they're like, okay, so we're making all these 39 millimeter oyster perpetuals, which were awesome by the way. And it's kind of a bummer that they got rid of them, but um, now they're like, okay, well now's an opportunity where we can differentiate the Explorer as a tool piece, which needs to be larger, right? You need to be able to read it and it needs to be robust and, and things mm-hmm. like that. It's, it's, it's designed as a tool piece, right? Yeah. And now they had the opportunity to put it in a 39 millimeter case and beef it up a little bit for the, the modern, the modern man of today. Right. So I think, it, I think it was okay. Like I, it kind of irked me a little bit. I had some kind of hard to see, but like in my, my wall of watch adverts behind me, I got a couple of Explorer ads and things like oh, that. Okay. Too. I got, you know, and they're, they're cool, but I mean, yeah, I could definitely see the appeal of having a larger, a larger piece now. And then obviously yeah. they upgraded like the bracelet and the clasp and all that as mm-hmm. well too. It's like much more uh, better finishing and, and uh, machining if I'm yeah, so it's it's a beautiful piece, man. It's really great, and I'm wondering, kind of, what's going to happen to it now that the rest of the 39 millimeter lineup is gone. Well, I think it's uh, uh I don't know. I know people are like, oh, it's gonna, they're going to bring out the 36. I'm like thinking, there's no way. I mean, the the way Rolex has been moving, uh, their sizing, it, uh, it just seems like a natural progression for this to go yeah. 41 as well. 41 or or they yeah i mean it's basically one of the two it'll be 41 or they could go back to 36 um but i think you're right i think for their sports pieces they're really pushing it the sizes up and up and up which is interesting because and it's always uh you know people always talk about how like pieces are getting smaller again Mm -hmm. now right but it's like rolex is making everything bigger omega everything bigger you know the 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 big names in the game are increasing the, the millimeter sizing on their cases so I, w- I wonder how they feel about this supposed trend of pieces getting smaller despite all the people that are setting the trends making the watches bigger what are your thoughts on it well you know I, I, to me rolex always marches to their own drumbeat right mm. and i feel like they they just want to dictate how they do things so they don't care about market trends like i always see rolex as a brand that moves at a snail's pace Mm -hmm. so so while other brands were moving into the larger uh, sizing you know the 42 43 44 45 uh rolex was still you know the 39 or the 36 stuff like that so now you're seeing them slowly moving up while other brands are moving down and that's just the way i see it is like eventually when things start shifting back to the larger size rolex will be coming back down on the size um because they just want to do it their way i don't know um if you look at the the evolution of their design it really is slow yeah uh, like you look at the new sub like the, the, the difference is so incremental it's so small yeah. um so uh, i get a, i get a bit of a chuckle when you know it, it's fun see, speculating what rolex is going to bring mm-hmm. to the design each year right and you see some like some of the cool um cad drawings and stuff like that uh, or rendering but it's like there's no way they're going to introduce that and it's too drastic of a change at least you know in my opinion um, mm. so then when they actually bring it out, it's like, oh, okay, that's, 
that's what they brought out. All right. So definitely. That's my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think that they I know people are getting really excited about the the possibility of an update to the Explorer 2, right? People are saying yeah. that they're gonna do like a ceramic bezel on it, which I think would just look weird, but I mean, you know teach their own i mean it's not even a movable bezel right it's just it's just a it's the fixed bezel so i mean why would you bother with that but i mean it's cool to see again like you said kind of the the hype that builds up and i think people like rolex because because they're so slow to change people like fixed con like fixed constants in the hobby right they like something that they know is always going to be the same so that you know with all the change going on with on the, and all like the zaytonas and daytonas <laughs> and whatever other stuff is going on people can people can be like okay rolex it's all right we can still rely on you it's okay you're always gonna be the same <laughs> you know so people get people get really fussy when they when they make these changes because you're right i mean the explorer 39 yeah it's a little bigger but it's i mean it's not like it looks any different Right. And, and you're talking like people get hung up on, on the measurements, but it's like, it's three millimeters. Could you imagine, could you imagine like literally like, unless you're like in like architecture or like engineering or something like that, but in like your everyday normal life, if someone got fussy over like three millimeters of something, you'd be like, dude, you need to take a chill pill. It's time to mellow out a little bit, yeah. man. You're a little too worked up, right? So. Well, yeah. I mean, look at the the new sub, right? They they bumped it up by one millimeter, and it just created like a uproar. Like, ah, oh my god, they went up. Like, I know. like, you would think that they went up to fifty millimeters by the by the reaction online. Um, I, know. I know people yeah. are yeah you know people like something to complain about, I guess, right? So it is <laughs> what it is. So and then your your, I don't know if it's your last piece, but you also said you had a speedy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I got my speedy, and um, this is definitely a keeper here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, the new one is is nice and everything, but for the price bump, um, I'm gonna keep mine. Like I have no intention of selling this and trying to buy the new one. I've I've heard a couple different things with that too. I've heard a that people are already expecting to see that if they, that you're just an 1861 caliber, yeah. correct? Okay. Yeah. Um, so people are expecting to see a market increase on the pre-coaxial speedies now, um, just because now like that, they're kind of, they're kind of like the last of the original breed of speedies, right? It's like now yeah. it's really the whole lineup has been converted over now to this coaxial movement, this, these uh, Maytas, certified anti-magnetic movements right mm-hmm. there's no that that old speedy the, the one that you and i both have is like they don't make watches like that anymore you know so <laughs> it's a little yeah. it's a little different right yeah. um so i could see that really picking up in value a and b you're right the differences are cool and all but they're not enough to justify a price increase and getting rid of the one that you have right i mean yeah that's that's my opinion but you know what um i I'm kind of the opposite thinking in terms of the, the value going up on the, the 1861 models, um, okay. largely because there are so many out there. Yeah. Um, you know, it, this is, this is one that you could walk into any store, uh, whether you want Sapphire or Hesalite, you know, it was, you could just walk in and get it and, and you see it everywhere. Right. Let me on Instagram. <laughs> um, so I think uh, the market is a little bit saturated. 
um, maybe at some point it, it may, but not like uh, not like some of the some of the limited edition like mm-hmm. uh, Speedy Tuesday and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I would I would just counter with that that remember when they used to give away Daytonas for free? So <laughs> okay. all right, oh, okay, okay, fair or, enough. <laughs> or 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 there's never there's never there was never a shortage of subs in the world now and That's now true. they're and now they're worth like three times what they were back in the day, right? I mean, I mean <laughs> it could be who who knows, right? Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. you're right, you're right though. As of right now, though, and I don't think anytime in like the next decade they'll be like tripling in value. But I could see eventually them having that appeal of point, like, yeah. you know, like the three, two ones have, or even the eight, six ones are starting to pick up that attention as well too. Right. Mm-hmm. There, there's definitely some, some appeal to them, but I mean, yeah, I don't think they're ever going to be going at auction houses for $200,000 or anything like that. Maybe no, in like, you, maybe in like a hundred years or something, but you know, yeah. no, but that's a good point. You're making a really good point. So, yeah. Well, you never know. This is such a weird yeah. hobby, right? The, the, the watch, <laughs> the watch that you couldn't give two craps about yesterday is now the hottest item for the next yeah. five years. Right. So, I mean, you never know with this hobby. So I, it, I, exactly. I, I'm happy to hang on to mine. I think it's just yeah. a cool thing to have and it brings mm-hmm. some variation to the collection. It's a moon watch, man. Like that, that's the story. Like to me, that was a huge selling point. It was just like, um, I kind of moon watch. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's and that's all part of the, the great history with it, right? And I think that's yeah. what, what really draws people to it. So, I mean, unless they suddenly uh, can find some quantifiable proof that uh, the moon landing was faked, <laughs> then I suppose <laughs> that I suppose they would tank in value. But other than that, I don't know. So yeah, it's uh, that's that's really neat. So what what do you think is next in the collection? Then what are you looking forward to next? Um, oh boy, you know, it's, uh, I guess this piece is kind of controversial. It's, uh, the, the new Zenith, uh, Zaytona. (laughs) Yeah, the Zaytona. Um, when I saw that, I was like, oh, I'll be honest, like the Daytona has never been on my radar. Don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful piece. Uh, but it's not one where like, oh man, I want to be on the wait list for that. Mm -hmm. But when the Zenith came out with that picture, I was like, okay um yeah i'm gonna wait for the hype to die down in my head um just to see um because you know you know how it is you get caught up with the excitement and i gotta have it i gotta have it right so i'm gonna wait a while and see if that's if that excitement is still there um but it's definitely right now a piece that i'm I'm eyeing Mm -hmm. um at the end of last year, what I was actually eyeing was the uh, the Grand Seiko Snowflake. Yeah, I think we talked uh, about that. I think that was yeah. that was a really cool piece that uh, yeah. that's on the radar for sure. Yeah, so it's it's one that I wanted to go see in person. Uh, I've never seen it in the meadow, so I wanted to uh, you know go out to the AD and see it. Uh, and then there was a lockdown, so I couldn't. Um, so, so we'll see if I if I still want the Zenith, um, the Grand Seiko will uh, probably be in the back burner. Um, also, wanted to add a blue watch to my collection, so mm-hmm. I was looking at possibly the Black Bay Fifty Eight or the uh, OP Forty One. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Those were kind of on the list as well. But mm-hmm. again, if I go, if I decide to go with a Zenith, um, I think both of those will go on by the wayside because 
I don't need more watches. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, the quantity is, is not something that's important to me. Uh, and as I touched on earlier, right, it's about uh, the, the forever pieces, the long-term pieces. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. mm-hmm. What is your thoughts on the, I guess, drama that was surrounding the release of the the zaytona and i call it that just because Uh, that's kind of been like the unofficial name from the community but i mean i've always i was always pro zenith on uh on this whole thing i think that you know i people were people are gung-ho to drop a boatload of money on a daytona with a zenith movement but they're not okay to buy a zenith that like has a couple minor design cues that might be yeah, shared with a Daytona. I know, I know. I didn't, you know what? I've been a long fan of the El Primero, um, like the, the white version, white dial. Um, so when I saw this, it just seemed natural that, oh yeah, this, this one with the bezel was, was just on the money. Um, I, I do think the hype, you know, the, the controversy is overblown. Um, mm-hmm. I know some of the, the YouTubers, like the well-known ones were, calling it an homage or a, a copy. And I, I looked at it in, in detail, all the design elements, right? And I'm thinking to myself, if you took the bezel off of both of them, like tell me what else looks alike. You know, maybe the bracelet, okay. But the case itself is different. The pushers are different. The indices are different. Like the, the sub dial is completely different. Right. So, so tell me, you know, if anything, the Zenith looks better. It's got less clutter with the, yeah. you know, fewer texts. Like the Daytona, when you look at, has, it's full of text on the dial, right? Um, so I don't know. I, I felt I felt like it was overblown, um, and I think it was a disservice to call it a copy of mm-hmm. the Daytona. It's like, do they have a license on that bezel? Mm-hmm. It's really like. I don't know. Like, I'd like to see someone. I'm not. I'm not capable of doing it. But I'd like to see someone do a render where they remove the bezels, and and then we just look at the the dial and the rest of the case. Well, and even like you know, like the tachometer bezel, like it needs to be laid out in a certain way to be functional, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, so yeah, so they used a, a wider ceramic bezel because again, ceramic's hard to work with as well. So yeah. you do, you, you know, you can't just have like this paper thin, tiny little bezel around it made right. out of ceramic. It's not easy to do and you need it to be functional. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, in order for them both to be functional, they're going to have to look kind of similar, right? It's like, a, yeah. it's like, you know, you can't, you don't get mad at every single new dive watch that comes out. Cause it's got a dive bezel on it. Right. And right. I mean, most of the dive bezels look the same because they yeah. need to be functional. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a few yeah. that are different and, whatever like doxa and things like that and mm-hmm. great for them right but at the end of the day like how many black ceramic dive bezels are there on the market right now that yeah. no one cares about but apparently it's the end of the world because a zenith and a daytona have one that looks kind of the same right yeah oh i know silliness <laughs> just shenanigans yeah. Oh uh, well, it's it's hey, uh it's something neat, anyways. But you know what? It was good for them, right? For Zenith, it was a great publicity, right? yeah. Because it was all talk, and poor Omega oh, <laughs> like what left a... to the sideline with their with their new uh, Moon Watch. Like suddenly, no one was talking about it. Right? So oh, I know my my buddy uh, my buddy Alex from uh, Your Authorized Dealer. He's one of the watch memers. Yeah, he um he had 
a meme that he did and it's like the one of like the guy walking with his girlfriend and then he's look he's looking back at the other <laughs> yeah. girl walking by so it was like the watch community's the guy the yeah. girlfriend he's holding the hand of is like the the brand new speedy and then he looks behind him at the new zaytona that just showed up and his speedy girlfriend. <laughs> i saw that one i was like that's Z- great zenith actually liked it and commented on it oh yeah, yeah <laughs> okay. that was super cool and then and then i was like hey this is super sweet so i liked that and then they sent me a dm and i was like wow, oh, I'm, wow. Talk- I'm talking with zenith this nice, is kind of cool nice i asked them if they wanted to come on a show and then they left me on red though so <laughs> i know what hey, you, you did, never zenith. know i know what you did zenith. <laughs> it hit me up though <laughs> oh that would be cool yeah that would be neat but hey you know what that's uh that's that's really cool man that's a really neat piece to see coming in i think uh you're spot on and that wouldn't that would be a definitely a keeper as well and that movement alone like oh my god like what an incredible intricate movement right and Mm -hmm. you know i love how they've uh evolved the el primero movement over time but still kept them so true to the original design like they're mm-hmm. they're just they're stunning to look at. They're incredible how they function. Yeah. They're a really cool piece. I don't like what is the serviceability on an El Primero movement though? Like they've been around so long. Are they something that like any watchmaker can work on though, or they have to go straight back to Zenith? I I have no idea. I would think the complexity of that movement, um, you wouldn't just want to take it to any independent watchmaker. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I don't I don't know for sure. Maybe that's mm-hmm. another one someone can uh, post a comment absolutely I, i'd be curious because if i'm gonna own one i'd like to know <laughs> I'd like to know are they yeah are they do they have like any um unique technology to them beyond just the complexity of the design like do they you know like do they have like a unique style of escapement or anything like that or are they just kind of a normal uh movement with regards to specifications it's just the design that makes them so unique yeah that's something i'm not sure yeah interesting yeah yeah unfortunately i don't know the the engineering the technology behind it enough to to be able to answer that Mm -hmm. very cool okay so what's uh what we've talked about what's next we've talked about what's in the collection so what's like the grail what's like the that one piece that you know you might never get or you might get one day but it's like it's just the one that that'll be like the jewel in the crown one day for you. Yeah. Uh, you know what, when I talk about grail for me, it, it has to be something that is actually realistic mm-hmm. um, <laughs> from a, from a cost perspective. Right. So for sure. me, it might be boring, but it, it's the uh, Rolex BLNR. Um, nice. You know, I, I don't think I'll ever get that call to be honest with the way the market is going mm-hmm. and then it is what it is. Uh, I'm, I was late to the game. So, you know, uh, but it's something that I would like to close out my collection. Um, I just can't see myself moving beyond that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, getting like a, a Royal Oak or mm-hmm. overseas or anything like that. That's just mm-hmm. way above, uh, you know, my pay grade. Mm-hmm. I look at it right? so uh, way way above both our pay grade man <laughs> I mean it, it's boring it's boring for me to say that's my grail but uh I just kind of take it like uh, as a more realistic uh, view <laughs> what are your thoughts on like buying one through the gray market would you ever pay over retail for one no um, I think the gray market is just so ridiculous right now uh actually you know I've been chatting with a buddy of mine uh you know I, I saw uh uh, a brand new uh, sub date uh, posted for like 18K. 
Canadian. Oh, I'm like, Ugh. what? 18,000? Are you crazy? Um, and I think there was one before that that was, I think, 17 or 17.5 and actually sold. I was like, and it sold quickly. So there's no way. Like, it, it, it's just the, the market is so ridiculous right now. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there's no way I, I get gray market. Uh, just what is the msrp on one of those right now then um i think it is uh trying to remember off the top of my head like somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 12 or something like that 12 canadian something like that because i think it was just i think it was just under 10 us yeah so like that's uh yeah, that markup is insane. What they're what they're doing right now, and I even saw how it impacted the previous generations of of subs now as well. Oh, was... sorry, sorry, you're asking me about the the uh, the price of the sub. Oh, yes. the sub is um, I think the sub date is ten eleven or something like that. Oh, okay. So even so, even a little bit more. So they're literally marking it up like eight grand. Yeah, yeah. that's it's, absurd. Yeah. 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 The I know like they they really like I said they were dragging up like even the the prices on like the older five digits as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I was looking for possibly as a purchase at the end of this year that is now, I am now no longer because I will not be able to afford it was a uh, a birth year Submariner right. Oh. I wanted to pick one up from uh, from ninety three when I was born, and uh, I saw now they're going. I just saw a few of them now and they're going like. 13 14 15 grand for like an old five digit sub from the 90s and i'm like yeah, come on come i'm on. like yeah i mean there's other ones that have come up from like later on um like there's still like some 14060s or 14060ms um that are you know kind of in like that eight or nine kind of price range which in my opinion is still too much for what they are but um I'm not going to pay 15 K for a watch that, you know, let's be honest, has the quality of a three grand watch from the time period. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm, you know, and that might, that might upset some people, but you know what, they're not, they're not what they're not like new Rolexes, right. For quality yeah. wise. And, Absolutely. and just, and I mean, now the hype that they've built up around them. So do you think that the market, the way it is now, the gray market and the like used collector market, do you think it's going to stay the way it is or do you think that it's going to continue to go up? Do you think it's going to collapse in on itself? What are your thoughts? I would, I wish it would collapse on itself uh, mm. to be selfish so I could actually get my hands on something. Yeah. Um, but the way that Rolex has played the market, I, I don't see it coming down. Uh, I mean, okay. Prime example, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, a, we've been dealing with a worldwide pandemic yes. early on. It was like, Oh no, markets are going to crash and stuff like that. You know what? Nobody had trouble selling a Rolex piece for nope. like, in fact, it kept going up in price. Mm-hmm. So that's going to tell you something. If a, if a worldwide market, you know, a downturn and a pandemic can't even affect the, the price of gray market Rolex, I mean, seriously, what's going to bring it down, right? Because now you have more people who are hopping in, uh, trying to just buy it. So as an investment, mm-hmm. as opposed to actually wanting to collect it, mm-hmm. I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't see it coming down. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I could think where it would affect the price, where it would go down is if suddenly people just didn't care for the brand anymore. Um, so it just, it just lost some of that brand equity. 
um kind of like what happened like in the 80s when people didn't really care about them anymore and they kind of all started yeah. to flush back flood back into the into the market so i could see that where now there's like a massive influx of stock and then people just don't want to buy it anymore i could see that's that what, but that's that's why they're controlling the market so tightly now right mm -hmm. like you know the the controls and production mm -hmm. um you can't even see it in a display there's there's no yeah. sports model yeah. You know, I, I messaged my AD, I think, uh, back uh, during Thanksgiving and said, hey, you know, uh, at some point I want to drop by to visit. And he's like telling me they have nothing. They don't even have a, a date, just a day date. Mm. <laughs> like they have no stainless steel models in, in their display. Right. So so it, it's crazy. And um yeah, on top of it, I mean, you heard about what Rolex is starting to do. Like, there's no yeah. more wait lists. Now they're trying to follow the the big players. And it's like kind of an interview process. Prefer, and preferred customers. Yeah, preferred customers, yeah. right? Um, so they're playing that game. So they're yeah. really controlling the market. And I think, you know, because they're a private company, they don't have to answer the shareholders, unlike mm -hmm. the Swatch Group, right? Mm -hmm. Omega is like pumping out models like crazy because they need to sell the volume. Whereas Rolex is like, no, we don't answer to anyone. So we just, we'll go at our own pace. We'll control the, the inventory. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Rolex used to be that, that model where it's like, you know, you reach the management level and it's like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to reward myself with a Rolex now, right? Mm -hmm. So it was attainable. Now it's like, forget it. Even, even if like, you have to be executive level and even then mm -hmm. you're still waiting like everyone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. Their, their direction, they're trying to take it. I, I, I don't agree with it. I think that now, and it's kind of a shame because what they like, it, it created a unique, it created a unique kind of situation in the market where like now Tudor was kind of coming up to become what Rolex used to be. Right. But now you're seeing so many people turn to Tudor that now there's shortages of Tudor, there's price increases going on with them and potentially, I don't know, like I'm just, this is just conjecture at this point, but potentially we're going to end up in the same boat with Tudor that we are in Rolex in a few years mm -hmm. down the road. And then both are going to be, nearly unobtainable right so yeah. i mean if you can get on the tutor boat now i suggest people do but i mean and, and, and then now obviously with uh, limiting production due to staffing problems in the factories because of covid now that artificial shortage has only been worsened that much more mm -hmm. by an actual shortage yeah. right? right so now they're not just withholding stock now they literally can't make stock right so yeah, yeah. It definitely, uh, it definitely is creating some challenges for them and, and just kind of making it worse for the guys that aren't already in on the game. And the guys that are, are just laughing and having a good time because they're just every couple of weeks, their, their watch is worth like 10% more than what it was before. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> but you know, Tudor is one of those brands where I know a lot of people are saying that, you know, it's uh, Rolex is moving it up into, uh, you know, Rolex's previous status. Yeah, like, uh, fill those shoes, mm -hmm. but when you look at the the Tudor lineup, outside of Black Bay, what else is selling? Pelagos. Yeah, yeah, Pelagos, and then but yeah, that's it. They had that new but, Tudor Royal, um, which I guess got some attention. That was kind of like a strange variation of like a date just or a day date, yeah. I guess. It was cool. They got some hype, but I don't think it sold like crazy. 
Um, oh. I know like they're like the chronos and stuff don't get a ton of attention. Mm-hmm. The uh, North flag is kind of a cool, I think the North flag is super cool, but it's very niche. Yeah. Um, so that didn't get a ton of, of ton of stuff or a ton of attention, but yeah, other than the black base, it's like the Pelagos with uh, particularly like the LHD was a really big one for people to collect yeah, to get their hands was. on. The yeah. blue was really big before the black Bay blue came out. Mm-hmm. say that 10 times really fast <laughs> um the uh you know that was uh that was a, a, a neat piece i have like just the regular the regular pelagos i love it i think that like that's kind of a sleeper in the lineup just because of how much technology well how much technology they put into it and how much they thought about it like it like from a technological standpoint it actually blows the black bay out of the water yeah um as a, as a functional dive piece and, and even just, you know, even convenience in day-to-day life with like the adjustability of the bracelet, how light it is with titanium, things like that. Yeah. But it doesn't have that like vintage six, five, three, eight look that the, mm-hmm. uh, that the black Bay has. And, and the black Bay is very wearable. It's a very, it's a very wearable, um, very classically sized and styled piece. There's so many variations like, and I'm, I'm a sucker for that, uh, black Bay GMT. I'll be the first yep. one to admit it. I think that's a beautiful GMT. Yeah, it's beautifully vintage, vintage inspiration in a design. Um, and obviously, like, you know, maybe you, uh, you're waiting for that BLNR. But for a lot of people, they'll be like, I'm never going to end up with a Pepsi or a BLNR. So I'm just going to buy yeah. this and be happy for all the years that I'll be waiting to get one. Right. Yep. So it's yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wonder if the, like, the, we'll see like a BLNR variation of the Black Bay. That'd be cool. Yeah, it would. I mean, I'd like to see the GMT, like uh, uh, a 58 version of the GMT. Um, that that would that, that would tempt me. That would tempt, just because of the sizing, right? Like the, the 41 I can wear, but it, it's bigger than, than where I want to go right now. That just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> I mean, that'd, be, that'd, be, that'd be really cool. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe I never thought of that. That would be really really something neat. and then some different color variations would be cool or maybe even yeah. a completely unique color variation that yeah. uh hasn't previously existed right so i mean that would be that would be neat but i think um, you know people say that tudor and rolex are actually run completely independent of each other mm-hmm. but i don't entirely believe that i think that i think rolex keeps tudor on a little bit of a leash yeah, with I what agree. they're doing they don't, they don't want anything that tudor makes to like outsell or outperform anything that rolex makes you know so yeah yeah could be interesting could be very interesting um all right man well you know i really appreciate you taking the time to do this i know this is a bit of a late night episode it's almost midnight where you are so (laughs) i uh i really appreciate you taking the time to talk and to go over your collection and your insights into the community and all the crazy wacky and awesome stuff going on in it um you know where can people find you if they want to talk with you uh, they can DM me on Instagram, uh, mm-hmm. Dapper Watch Dad, and mm-hmm. I'll be more than glad to to chat watches or anything else. Yeah, get to know more people. Absolutely, guys, definitely go check them out. And if you want to look at any of the pieces that we discussed today, go check out his account. Look at his incredible photography. Enjoy his pieces. Like, comment, follow. Definitely engage with his account because it's one of the the definite gems in the community for sure. <laughs> Thank you. And likewise, for myself, if anybody wants to uh, get in contact with me, you have questions, comments, feedback, anything like that, shoot me a DM at Rico's Watches Podcast on Instagram. You can also leave a comment down below. 
on YouTube at the Rico's Watches podcast channel. Uh, please also like, subscribe, hit that bell icon so you can be notified of future episodes. It also helps uh, with me with creating more content and uh, building the page even more to keep pumping out these episodes for you guys to enjoy. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, please send an email to Rico's Watches podcast at gmail.com or likewise send me a DM on Instagram. We can definitely set something up. With that, thank you again so much, Ed. It was awesome talking with you and we'll be signing off. <laughs>